0: I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the Gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 28. This is Transfiguration Sunday. This is the scripture, as Luke tells it, of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 28, Luke writes... Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah not knowing what he had said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things that they had seen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for this privilege of studying it together. And now as I stand before these, your people, this, your church, I pray that this would be your message and not my own, through the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. As we shared earlier with you, this is the beginning of the season of Lent. On Wednesday, we have Ash Wednesday, the beginning of that 40-day period of time as Jesus has turned to the cross. The Sunday before Ash Wednesday is known as Transfiguration Sunday. It's the time when we, the church, remember Jesus going up on this mountain to pray and being transfigured. It's an important part of the scripture because the three synoptic gospels, and remember Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels. S-Y-N, Sin means same as, optic, the way we see. So a synoptic gospel means they see it the same way. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are considered the synoptic gospels. They're very similar and all of them tell the story. And we've heard the story. Fred Craddock actually shares that one of the most difficult things is when we have heard a story so many times that it makes it hard for us to hear the story. When we believe we already know what this is about, we already see what God is doing, then it may make it more challenging for us to see what God is doing once again. But Luke does show us clearly something distinct from Matthew and Mark. The question has been being asked, who is this? As a matter of fact, if you go back to the beginning of this chapter, around verse 9, you will see that Herod is beginning to ask the question, who is this? He said, I just had John the Baptist beheaded, and yet I still hear these stories. Who is this? then Jesus is going to ask the crowds. If you just keep reading in chapter 9, verse 18, and around that area, he's asking the disciples, when you're out among the people, who do they say that I am? So who do the crowds think that Jesus is? A great question for us to ask today. Who do the people In our world think that Jesus is. And the answer that was given back to him by the disciples is some think that you are John the Baptist. Others think that you are Elijah, the great prophet. Still others think you're one of the ancient prophets. The third time it's asked, who is this? When Jesus now turns to the disciples and he says, and who do you say that I am? In verse 20. Who do you say that I am? It's there that Peter said, you are the Messiah of God. You're the Christ. You're the anointed one. And now, in these verses, we hear, who does God say Jesus is? So you see the progression? Herod asking who is this? Jesus asking, who do the crowds think I am? Jesus asking again, who do you think that I am? And finally, God saying, this is who he is. This is the answer. It's a progression. Luke tells us that it was about eight days after the sayings. What sayings are, is this that Jesus talking about? And, and what we know is, is that this is after the time when Peter had said, you are the Messiah, you are God's Messiah. And then Jesus had said to them immediately following that confession that he was turning toward Jerusalem, heading there to be killed. Jesus shares with them the passion is coming and they didn't fully understand it at all. This is not the Messiah they were expecting and what they were expecting to come from a Messiah. So they were a little confused. And now eight days later... We're told that Jesus takes Peter, James, and John and he goes up on a mountain to pray. They become that inner circle. But Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray. Luke will emphasize throughout his gospel, when you study it, Jesus' prayer life. That Jesus would constantly go to a quiet place. When the crowds were pushing in on him, he would take some time to pray. Before he made large decisions, he would take some time to pray. And once again, we see Jesus as he turns toward Jerusalem. The first thing he wants to do is pray. He goes up onto the mountain to be that holy site, that holy place. He goes up on the mountain to pray. And Luke says something very interesting that it was while he was praying that his face changed and his garments changed. There's something about when we pray, when we're having that conversation with God, that intimacy with God, that a change occurs. And we've seen this before. This is not accidental in Luke. For example, turn back in your Bibles to Luke chapter 3, verse 21, and this is at Jesus' baptism. Listen to what was said. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, Jesus had been baptized, was now praying, the heaven opened. The Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved with you. I am well pleased. Luke wants us to know that prayer opens the door to God. It it allows God to reveal himself to us because we're now in a posture that we're ready to hear a word from God and receive something from God. And while Jesus is praying, his face changes. This is not accidental. If you turn back in your Bibles to Exodus, for example, chapter 34, Between verses 29 and 35, you'll see that every time Moses would go to be with God, every time he would step away to have time with God up on the mountain, and when he came back down, the people were taken back because his face was shining, because he had been in the presence of God. And so Jesus' face changing, that that was not uncommon. The disciples would be able to know this is a God thing. Remember when that happened to Moses. And then Moses and Elijah both appear. Moses, as you read the Old Testament, was the great lawgiver. The book of Exodus, for example. and, And Elijah was the great prophet, the one who would speak on behalf of God. And they were both believed to... Return prior to the coming of the Messiah. And here we are. Jesus is up on the mountain and Moses and Elijah appear to talk to him. It's an important conversation. Jesus had just said, I'm turning toward Jerusalem. And he knew that the cross was waiting for him. And he needed to hear from Moses and Elijah to have that conversation of, of what God was doing. One of the things I love about the Gospel of Luke is the way Luke tells the story of the temptations of Jesus. And when the temptations are over in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, Luke tells us that when the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until. An opportune time. I love that because Luke reminds us that conquering temptation is not something we battle one time and then it's gone. That we may win this battle, but Satan's just waiting for another opportunity to come at us again. And when Jesus turned toward Jerusalem, I believe that that journey to the cross, we know the time in the Garden of Gethsemane, and others were times when Satan was all over Jesus with the opportune time. So to have that encounter with Moses and Elijah on the mountain before God, before Jesus turns and goes to Jerusalem, was such a critical time. But Luke does something else that's unique. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the story. Only Luke will tell us what the conversation between Jesus, Moses, and Elijah was about. Only Luke will let us know what was the purpose of the conversation. What did they talk about? And Luke tells us that they spoke of Jesus' departure and what he was to accomplish in Jerusalem. The conversation with Jesus was his departure and what he would accomplish. What that sacrificial death was going to mean. And what the cross would do for the people of God. But there's an interesting thing that we sometimes miss. Actually, I wish our English translations of the Bible would maybe correct us a little bit. And that is the word for departure. The Greek word for departure is actually the word exodus. What the Greek says is that they discussed Jesus' exodus. Now the exodus in the Old Testament became the lens through which the people of God would see God's salvation story and how when the people of God were held in slavery in Egypt and in captivity and it was a brutal time with their taskmasters that that God heard their cry and came to deliver them. And now we have Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus about his exodus, how God now through Jesus would once again deliver his people. It was the story about how God was going to bring an end to slavery over sin and death. How God would do something new through Jesus and his exodus we're told that Peter, James, and John wake up. Now, the New Revised Standard said that since they had kind of stayed awake, even though they were weighed down with sleep, the Greek kind of implies more that they had actually gone to sleep, but they woke up in time to see it. For example, if you look at the New International Version or the English Standard Version, the Scripture says in Luke 9, verse 32, "...but when they became fully awake." If you look up today's English version, for example, it'll say Peter and his companions were sound asleep, but they woke up and saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. So imagine that scene. They've been weighed down with sleep. They're exhausted. Jesus was praying. They wake up. They're rubbing their eyes. And they're looking around, and all of a sudden, Jesus' appearance is different. There's two men, Moses and Elijah. It makes you wonder which one woke up first, going, hey, wake up. you got to see this. Look. And they saw what was happening. And we're told about the time then that Moses and Elijah were leaving, that Peter jumps up, not knowing what he said. And I love Peter. Peter's the one who always says something that... You know, he may not quite be ready for. He's always willing to speak up and you've got to give him credit for that. He runs up to Jesus in verse 33 and he goes, hey, it's good for us to stay here. Why don't I make three dwelling places, three booths for us and, and we'll just stay right here. But then something terrifying happens. A cloud approaches the mountain. And begins to engulf the mountain. And we're told that the disciples are terrified. Not because they were at high altitude and all of a sudden a cloud was coming by. That was normal. They knew what this meant. God would speak on the mountain to his people. Exodus, for example, chapter 16, verse 10 And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of God appeared in a cloud. Exodus 19, verse 9, Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud in order that the people may hear when I speak to you and so trust you ever after. Exodus 24, verse 15, Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. They were terrified, not in the sense of horror, but in the sense of awe. We're in the presence of God. Obviously, what was happening before them was a miraculous thing. Jesus was now in his glory. They could see the the glow of his face, the, the garments, white as they could be. Moses, the great lawgiver, they recognized him. It's good for us to be here. I'll build booths. One for Moses, one for Elijah, one for you. They knew who it was. And now God is encompassing them. They are in the midst of the presence of God and they sense the all. That's one thing I, as a pastor, pray for in the life of the church in our world today, that we never lose the sense of all being in the presence of God. I love the intimacy that we experience with Jesus and the intimacy we experience with God but there needs to be a time in our lives where we, I am in the presence of the almighty God and a sense of all covers our spirit. And God speaks and says, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Now, who is God speaking to? Moses and Elijah have left. And and God is not saying, you are my son. Remember in his baptism in Luke 3, we read, you are my son. God was speaking to Jesus, but here in the presence of Jesus, God is making sure that the disciples know the answer to the question that Herod was asking. Who is this? That the crowds were asking, you know, is this John the Baptist? Is this Elijah? Is this one of the prophets? And, and when Jesus said, who do you think it is? It's, it's the Messiah of God. But God now really wants them to hear, yes, Messiah of God. But more than that, this is my son. This is my son. This, he is my chosen. Listen to him. Listen to him, N.T. Wright, he, he in his commentary on Luke does a beautiful job. He's a great biblical scholar. You hear me refer to him often. He's in, uh, at Oxford in England. And he says, We too often find it completely bewildering to know how to understand all that God is doing and saying, both in our times of great joy and our times of great sadness. But the word that comes to us, leading us to follow Jesus, even when we haven't a clue what's going on, is the word that came from the cloud on that strange day in Galilee. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. You know, there's, there's so many scriptures in the Bible that have messages for us on, now, what do we do with this? Scriptures that teach us, for example, here's how you pray. Scriptures that teach us, here's how you grow in the faith and become deeper in the faith. Scriptures that teach us, here's how you love your neighbor. Here's what loving your neighbor is about. But this mountaintop experience, this one, this scripture, it's not about us at all. It's not about this is what happens when you have your mountaintop experience. You're not going to have this mountaintop experience. This is an experience unique to Jesus. This is an experience where God is talking about Jesus. This is a theophany. This is a manifestation of God. This is God revealing This is who this is. This is who my son is. And you are to listen and to follow him. This is our Christology. This is a reminder of who it is that's now turning to go toward Jerusalem. This is a reminder of who is suffering on our behalf. This is a reminder when we look at the cross of who exactly was on the cross. This is a reminder to us of who exactly is it that will conquer sin and death and rise again that we might might have life. This is God placing his arms around Jesus in front of the disciples and now in front of us, the church, to go, you really need to know who this is because there's none other like him. This, This is my son. This is my chosen one. And listen to him. This is God making a revelation to us. And now they come down from the mountain and Jesus starts the journey toward Jerusalem. He starts his exodus. And he begins to follow what we call the way of the cross, the Via Dolorosa, the way of the cross. And now we watch as the lamb of God becomes the sacrificial lamb for all of us. This is not a scripture about us and what God can do through us. This is one of the scriptures where we just see who is Jesus and what is God doing through him. The Lamb of God. Remember how John the Baptist said in John chapter 1, verse 29, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, picture another heavenly scene. It's in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 6. John says, Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb, standing as if it had been slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the twenty-four elders, fell before the Lamb each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slaughtered and by your blood, you ransomed for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God and They will reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands singing with a full voice. Worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's a sevenfold description of praise, complete praise to you. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is not one of those scriptures about us. The Transfiguration is a scripture about Jesus. And God making sure we know who he is. And our response... Our response is to kneel down and worship him. Amen.